0: Chapter 11, Lilibet The alarm sounded and jarred me out of a deep sleep. I leaned over and hit the snooze button and opened my eyes and then looked out of the window. It was snowing. I jumped out of bed and went to the window and noticed that about three inches had fallen overnight. It had become a winter wonderland. I'd woken up in my dorm. My conversation with Inspector O'Callaghan Seemed like a dream. I was confused. Nothing made sense anymore. I was fuzzy with sleep. The last thing I remembered was listening to my dad's taped confession. That was so bizarre to hear the man I'd always thought of as dad admitting he was a war criminal. I thought of all the inconsistencies I'd heard throughout my life that I had decided to ignore. The tape sounded like my dad had been reading from a script and some of the things O'Callaghan had told me no one could have known. It was as if Inspector O'Callaghan wasn't in fact a policeman at all, but was in fact a member of the organisation that seemingly was responsible for all this chaos. Could it be that all this mayhem had been orchestrated? But for what reason, I wondered. I suddenly needed to confirm something and threw on my clothes and ran down the hall to the phone bank at the end of the hall. I was trying to figure out why I was so confused this morning. I decided to dial a number I knew so well. After three rings, a voice came on the line. Hello, the voice answered. Hello, Mum, this is Matt. What are you doing home? I thought you were in prison, I stammered, more flustered than ever. But the fact that she answered confirmed my suspicions. Whatever do you mean, darling, she laughingly replied. Mum? I need to see you as soon as possible. Would that be okay if I came to visit you? Yes, of course, darling. We'd love that, she replied. "When were you thinking of coming? Would it be okay if I came to see you right now, I pleaded. Ah, that would be perfect, she replied, and I told her that I'd see her in a few hours and then hung up the phone. The next thing I did was ring Aunt Ruth. I'd asked her the last time I saw her where she had first met Inspector O'Callaghan, and she had told me when he was investigating suspected anti-British activities at the British Union of Fascists in 1936, and had my mum on his radar. I'd thought about that ever since Aunt Ruth had told me that, and it made no sense, and so I wanted to ask her again. I got no reply. She must have been out, and so I decided to phone "'Inspector O'Callaghan, instead. "'I was going to tell him that I'd changed my mind "'and would like to visit my mum and dad in jail, "'just like he had suggested.' "'Special branch, Metropolitan Police,' an operator answered. "'How may I direct your call?' "'Inspector O'Callaghan, please.' "'There was a short pause and a rustling of papers, "'and then the operator replied, "'I'm so sorry, sir. There's no one of that name who works for Special Branch. May I connect you to someone else, sir? Ah, uh, Yes, in that case, let me speak to the duty officer, then. Thank you, I replied. There was a brief pause, and then a new voice came on the line. Sergeant McGillicuddy here. How can I help you? Good morning, Sergeant. My name is Matthew Chandler, and I'm trying to locate Inspector O'Callaghan for the Special Branch. Hello, Mr. Chandler. We've searched the roster and I'm afraid we can't find anyone with that name who works here. May I ask what this is in reference to? And I answered, "Uh, Yes, a man called Otto von Braden is in your custody, accused of war crimes. He entered the UK right after World War II illegally and Inspector O'Callaghan arrested him recently. And from what I understand, he's being held here. "'until his trial or extradition. "'Would it be possible for you to check for me, Sergeant?' I pleaded. "'I'll see what I can find out for you, certainly. Please hold.' "'The man was gone for a long time, "'but finally returned with the answer I suspected he would give. "'No person with that name is or has been in our custody, Mr Chandler. "'I'm sorry. I can't help you any more.' You've helped me more than you can know, I replied. Thank you, Sergeant. And I hung up the phone. My worst suspicions had been confirmed. Who were these people, I wondered. First of all, years earlier, why had my own dad lied to Simon and myself about our grandparents being killed in a bombing raid in 1940, and then after my discovery that my own father was not the man he claimed to be, but was in fact a war criminal, The man who finally arrested him turned out to be an imposter himself. So who was he? And where was Otto von Braden now? The only possible way to find out the truth was to go and confront the man and woman I'd called my parents for the last 20 years. So I left my dorm and I cycled to the station and took a train to Isha, where a 127 minutes later I was walking up the pathway to my childhood home. My mum saw me, and just as I was arriving at the front door, she flung it open and gave me the biggest hug she would ever given me. Mad, how lovely to see you. Come on in, darling. It's my lucky day, she said, smiling. After dropping my bag in the hallway and grabbing a drink, we went to the drawing-room and sat down opposite each other. How have you been, sweetheart? she asked. And then, without waiting for my answer, she asked, What did you mean this morning when you said you thought I was in prison? That prompted me to start the conversation, which was why I had come there today. That afternoon I told her everything. I told her about the photo I'd found years earlier while I was studying World War II in the library at Harrow of the man who looked like my dad standing with Adolf Hitler. And then I told her all about meeting his parents some years later when I was up at Oxford who were very much alive and living in the house that Dad had told us that they'd been killed in during the Blitz. The more I talked, the more anxious Mum became. I then asked her, were you ever involved with the British Fascist Union when you were at university? And with an astonished look, she shook her head and replied, no, sweetheart, it was the furthest thing from my mind at that time. But it's funny you should mention that, because your Aunt Ruth, and I had a big falling out over that organization that almost destroyed our relationship. At that time, Ruth was at university and was in love with one of the founding members of the British Fascist Union, and adopted some really bizarre notions that tore us apart. Hitler was gaining prominence globally, and the BFU adopted his racist ideology. The strange thing was that Ruth wasn't in the least racist, and I never understood her obsession with Adolf Hitler. Mum paused, and I could see she had an internal conflict going on. She sat there silently for the longest time, then took a deep breath and looked at me directly, then launched into what I can honestly say rocked my universe. What I'm about to tell you I've never told anyone she started. During that time... I began courting a young man, a fellow student named Robert Chandler. They say that once in a lifetime, a person is lucky enough to meet a person who's truly one's spiritual match. Well, I met my spiritual match in your father. That statement stopped me in my tracks for a second, and so I held up my hand and asked her to stop for a second. What do you mean, my father? I asked. What year are you talking about? I continued. 1943, she answered. Robert and I first met in 1937, and we dated all the way through university, and then once we graduated, we moved to London, where he got a job with the Foreign Office, just like his father. We decided to live together, and found a small flat in Putney, just over the bridge at the wrong end of the King's Road. We were happy there. But I thought you didn't marry Dad until 1946, I interrupted. I was now really confused. Well, yes, Matt, that's true. I really never wanted to talk about this, but circumstances being what they are, it's better that I come clean now with you. I never wanted to mislead you, and, darling, I'm so sorry. I may have given you boys the wrong impression. Robert and I were so happy living together in our lovely little flat in Putney. In 1943, society frowned on unmarried couples living together, and so we decided to keep it a secret and live in an out-of-the-way place south of the river, like Putney. We used to joke about Putney as if we were living in the back of beyond. Robert had joined the Foreign Office after we moved to London, and as far as his parents and his work were concerned, he lived alone. His parents were good people, who loved their only son and simply wanted the best for him. They were conservative and wouldn't have approved of us living together, even though they had met me on a number of occasions and seemed to like me. I certainly liked them. By the time we came to London, the war was in full swing and my in-laws had moved to Guernsey in the Channel Islands because they felt it would be safer living there. Robert was busy at what they called the War Office he joined the British Security Forces, which they now call MI5, and was being sent on dangerous missions for weeks at a time. I got used to being alone. Putney was far enough away from German bombs that I wasn't too scared. I had a job with the WACS, which was clerical, but kept me busy. My degree is in economics, and they'd found me work in the accounting department, which I enjoyed, but it wasn't the most scintillating work. At least I was doing my part for the war effort. Toward the end of the war, Robert was sent on a secret mission to Berlin. That was in 1945. I realised just after he left that I was pregnant with twins. I was over the moon with joy and wanted to tell the world, with the exception Of a few girlfriends at work, I had to keep it all to myself. I was so excited to be able to break the news to Robert as soon as he returned. Unfortunately, he was killed on that mission. I never knew any details of how he died. But what I did know was that he would never have a chance to meet his babies. I was completely devastated. You boys were born without a father. But that makes no sense, Mum, I said to her rather abruptly realising suddenly exactly what my mum was telling me. Are you saying that our real dad was Robert Chandler, the man you were living with in Putney at the time? Yes, Matthew, that's exactly what I'm saying. I sat there completely stunned. All I could do was look at her. I said nothing. Mum returned my look and then took a sip of coffee and continued. The Foreign Office was kind to me, but because Robert and I... Weren't married, they wouldn't pay me any compensation, and so things became very difficult financially for the three of us. The war had ended, and I was about to be evicted from my little flat in Putney for non payment of rent. As a last resort, I spoke to my sister, your Aunt Ruth, and she offered us a room in her house temporarily. And so, with the help of Aunt Ruth, Uncle David, and a borrowed van, I moved lock, stock and barrel with you and your brother Simon from Putney to Trinity Road, Oxford to move into Ruth's spare room. Things went well for the first few weeks but now I had no income and things right after the war were extremely bleak. That was when your aunt came to me with a proposition. I mentioned that she had been involved before the war with the British Fascist Union. It turned out that she was still an active member of the organisation and was instrumental in smuggling fugitives into England and helping them become British citizens. Since the end of the war, she had conducted four such operations and had managed to integrate them all into British society seamlessly. When I had decided to live with Uncle David and Aunt Ruth, I was desperate. I was penniless, and was trying to raise you two boys. I didn't have a job, and our future looked hopeless. I had nowhere to turn to. Your aunt offered me a lifeline that I simply couldn't refuse. I was still in shock from just discovering that my dad was not Otto von Braden, but was in fact Robert Chandler, the biological offspring of the couple who I'd come to know as my grandparents. I'd now figured out what Mum was about to tell me, and what Aunt Ruth had recommended that Mum do, and it disgusted me, frankly. Long. The British Fascist Union was a well-funded organization, my mum continued. It had the political and financial backing of some very powerful men. My sister offered me the freedom I'd been craving since the death of your father. The TBFU would buy me a house in my name in a London suburb and provide a small income for three years. In exchange, I would meet and marry a man of their choosing who would require a new identity. The only thing I had to assure them was that I would keep this agreement completely confidential. Ruth suggested I think it over for a few days and then give her my decision. I thought it over, weighing all the pros and cons, and several days later, I accepted their offer. A few days after that, a gentleman arrived at Aunt Ruth's. He identified himself as Brian Cavanaugh from the TBFU. I invited him into the house, and we sat in the living room, and while you and Simon sat in your bassinets, he told me all about the British Fascist Union and their ambitions for a better and more democratic country, and then mentioned that a candidate had been chosen for me, and would I like to see a picture of him. I of course said yes, and he produced a photo of a smiling, very handsome man. I then looked at some documents that he had with him, which he asked me to read, and then if I agreed with the documents, I would sign the contract. I read them, and half an hour later, I took the pen he offered and signed on the dotted line, and with that, Matthew, I belonged to them. I'd been listening to Mum for more than an hour now, and I was beginning to understand her dilemma. First of all, i had never understood why my dad had always been so cruel to the three of us. I realised now that cruelty was obviously his second language, so why should he behave differently to us as we were simply a means to an end. Now that I knew he wasn't my biological dad, it made all the difference. We stayed with Uncle David and Aunt Ruth for three weeks. In that time, I was having meetings regularly with TBFU's Brian Kavanaugh and my sister at her house, and during the course of the meetings, I learned I was to be married to a man who had been educated at Cambridge before the war, He spoke with a flawless English accent and could easily pass for being British. During the time, TBFU had been searching for a house for me. Brian phoned me and told me they had found a perfect home just 12 miles from London in a suburb called Esher in Surrey. He told me that they had bought it and transferred the title into my name, which meant that I was now the proud owner of a five-bedroom home at the end of Arbrook Lane, in Isha, and could prepare to move in at my earliest convenience. The house was called Woodside, as it was the last house on the end of the cul-de-sac. A week later, your Uncle David and Aunt Ruth once again came to my rescue and helped me move into the house we're now sitting in. Mum paused, and I asked her, "'How long were you here before you met Dad?' I asked. Only a few weeks, actually, darling. No sooner had the three of us got settled. We then received word from TBFU that we'd be going on holiday to Scotland for a couple of weeks, after which we would return with your new father, who had just been released from a Glasgow hospital, and would join us for a holiday on Loch Fyne in Argyllshire, and would then come home with us to our new house in Isha to begin our new life. Things went well for us, and I discovered, but somehow they managed to erase all military records that your biological father had been killed in Berlin, but that he had only been wounded and had been flown to a Scottish hospital for rehabilitation. After we returned from a holiday in Scotland, we began our life in Isha and got married privately, allowing my new husband to adopt your father's real identity. I felt awful doing it but at least I was being able to raise you kids, put food in your tummies, and keep a roof over your heads. I made a point of not asking what he had done in the war. I didn't want to know. Frankly, the old adage, what the eye doesn't see, the heart doesn't grieve over, came into play here. But there were important considerations as well. We needed to stay away from any of your dad's old friends, which meant we had to stay away from his old lifestyle, and so I was able to help him cut ties with everyone he'd grown up with. I made lists for him, and all those people were erased from our lives. That included, of course, his parents. And so you boys grew older. We told you that they'd been killed in the Blitz. Also, he applied for a new job at the Public Records Office at the National Archives in Kew. He couldn't afford to be recognized at his job in Whitehall and so he decided to transfer to a more administrative job. Someone was bound to ask questions and his subterfuge would be discovered. I never asked his real name or what he had done, Matt. I promise you, the first time I realized that something was really wrong about him was that time you visited us and after Dad dropped his glass on the floor and it broke you took the broken glass and concealed it in your suitcase. You've always been a smart boy, Matt, and after you left, I began wondering why you'd done that. I knew about it, of course. The only conclusion I could come to was that you had discovered something about Dad's past and you were looking for confirmation. When you finally did confirm that and you told me what his real identity was, I was flabbergasted and disgusted. I had no idea that he was a murderer, and clearly a mass murderer at that. I looked at Mom, and for the very first time, I saw a vulnerable and defeated woman. I felt so sorry for her, but I believed every word that she had just told me, and in my heart, I knew that everything she had done when Simon and I were babies, she had done for our welfare. However, everything she had just told me convinced me that the people who were guilty of permitting this imposter to ever come to our shores and perpetrate such a crime against innocent and trustworthy people must be held accountable and prosecuted to the fullest extent of law. What she told me also confirmed my worst suspicions. Inspector O'Callaghan clearly was not with the special branch and most probably worked for the British Fascist Union and Inspector O'Callaghan had lied to me, telling me that it was my mom, who was an active member of the UOF, when in point of fact it was actually my Aunt Ruth. The only thing I was still confused about, though, was whether Uncle David was a participant or a completely innocent bystander. Only time would tell. I made a mental note to myself to locate TBFU Headquarters and then stake it out and see if O'Callaghan showed up. I could also ask Aunt Ruth to tell me the truth about O'Callaghan. I pondered that for a moment and then asked Mum when Dad would be home, making the excuse that I would have to go back to Balliol soon. Mum was understandably upset that I hadn't spoken to her when I'd found out. She was upset to find out about Dad's background and horrified that he had been lying to her for all these years. As the day wore on, and she was clearly mulling over a lot of things he must have said to her, and I noticed that she became more and more upset as the day wore on. Are you certain you have all the facts? she asked somewhat hopefully, and I nodded yes, I am sure. That gave me the opportunity to tell her about Susan Chandler, my grandmother, who in 1940 had moved to Guernsey and two years later the Germans had invaded the island and discovered that her maiden name had been Steinberg. Her origins were Jewish and the German officer arrested her immediately and had her sent to Europe where she ended up in a Jewish deportation centre in Paris called Drancy. The commandant of that infamous camp was none other than Otto von Braden, I told her, and my mum looked mortified. But how did Susan know who he was? I then told her again about the photograph I'd found in the library at Harrow some years earlier of the picture of Dad standing with Adolf Hitler. Initially, I'd thought it was just a bad coincidence, and then I showed her a picture of you and Dad that I took last year when we were on holiday in Loch Fyne, and she freaked out, recognising him not as my father, her son, but in fact the monster who had incarcerated her at Drancy. I then told her all about my visiting the South Ken Records Department and looking in the records for the Chandler's house and discovering for myself that 37 Eaton Terrace had actually never been bombed in the Blitz. What was more, I told her, i decided to go to the house and knock on the front door. "'Well, why would you have done that?' mamma? asked. "'Because I was suspicious,' I replied, "'and my natural, inquisitive nature got the better of me. "'I then told her that when a man answered the door "'and I introduced myself, he collapsed in shock "'and was taken off to hospital. "'I stayed with him until his wife arrived "'and then left to return to Oxford.' I'd written down my name and address at Balliol, and a few days later received a thank you note from the Chandlers, asking me to ring them because they would like to offer me tea whenever I could make it. I think they had realized I was their grandson at the moment I first knocked on their door. I could see Mum wanted to ask me a question, and so I stopped talking for a moment. Well, how did they find out that you were their grandson, she asked. By the time you boys were born, everything had changed, and Robert was dead, so I never told anyone as part of my agreement with TBFU. Well, the Chandlers had pieced it together, I replied, much as I did. The facts were eerie. My name was Chandler, as was theirs. The old man had been educated at Oxford just like me, and we both lived at Balliol College. It was too much of a coincidence and frankly, I looked so like them. It was clear that he was my grandfather. After I received the note from them, I phoned them to accept their kind offer and arranged to visit them two days later. After I hung up, I thought it would be a nice gesture if I bought a picture of you and Dad to show them. Mum, do you remember the picture I took last summer of you and Dad on holiday at Loch Mum nodded, Yes, I do, I've always loved that photo, and so I decided to show it to Eric and Susan Chandler when I had tea with them. A look of horror passed across my mother's face as she realised the implications, but all she said was, Oh my God. Two days later, I knocked on their door at precisely 4pm and my grandmother answered and gave me a big hug. That afternoon, we compared notes and it became obvious we were related. I still didn't understand why Dad had lied to us and told us his parents had been killed in the Blitz. Tea was over and I was getting ready to leave when I suddenly remembered the photo of you and Dad. It was in the inside pocket of my jacket and I reached in and innocently produced what I thought would be a wonderful memory for these two sweet people. I handed it to my grandmother first, who took one look at you and then began to splutter. Her words were incomprehensible, but I could see she was upset, and then I heard her mutter the word monster. What on earth did she mean? asked my mother. It appears that I had shown her a photograph of not the two people that I dearly loved, but instead a picture of a man who had tormented her when he was commandant of Drancy in Paris, and also the following year, when he was commandant at Ravensbrück death camp, where she had ended up. It was too much for this woman to see a picture of this vile and cruel monster in England after all she had endured, posing as the father to her grandson. "'But I don't understand,' my mum kept repeating. "'I just don't understand. It was never meant to be like this. They lied to me. They promised me he was a low-level German.' pencil pusher were the words they used, but if that is true, and I'm sure it is, this man was responsible for killing thousands of innocent Jewish people, and both he and TBFU lied to me when they placed him with me. I thought about that for a moment, and then asked mum if Von Braden had had any trouble being accepted as Robert Chandler. She told me no, but in fact, she'd thought it strange, as when he first arrived, He had in his possession Robert's military identification, and she remembered thinking to herself how good that forgery was. Maybe a bit too good, I remarked, and caught her eye, just as she realized what I was implying.